0: It was 2008, it was probably right around this time of year, you know, getting close to, to Christmas, and uh, I was out Christmas shopping. Now, there's a couple things that I have to kind, kind of uh, set up for the story, because I don't want to look like a total jerk, but um, my wife, I love her to death, but she makes it really difficult to go Christmas shopping for now, it's a great trait why she makes it extremely difficult, but she makes it, especially for me as a guy, she loves to give. She's that personality. You know that person, right, who would rather give than receive? I mean, truly would rather give, give, give. And when it comes to them, they're like, oh, I don't want anything. So my wife's always been that person. I, I don't need anything for Christmas. I'm like, I have to give you something for Christmas, Because if I don't, I fail as a husband, right? But man, and I know you might be thinking, well, Chris, you're her husband. You should know what she wants. No, ladies, you make it really difficult for us guys because this is what you do. You walk through a store. I have my antennas up. I want this, but not for Christmas. I like this, not for Christmas, right? It happened yesterday in Williams and Sonoma. She said, I want this, not for Christmas. I'm like, you can't do that. So I was out w- wandering the stores, trying to find out what, what to buy my wife for Christmas. And she was no help of giving me a list, detailed list, with locations, stores, <laughs> prices, right? And so I found my way into one of these stores. And now, again, I knew walking into this very specific store that there was nothing in this store my wife could possibly ever really want for Christmas. But I was just reaching, I was stretching, I was trying to find something. And so as I walked through Best Buy, um, <laughs> there was a moment where I literally thought God spoke to me. It was like the light shone down. I was like, oh, and I heard his voice, buy this. I actually have a photo from the 2008 uh, Christmas morning. I, I'll show it to you in, in a minute. Uh, but you have to understand, because if you don't understand, I really look like an uncompassionate, uncaring, out-of-touch husband, which might be the case. But, but I wasn't in that moment, kind of, maybe, a little bit. I had remember my wife say to me one time, this random thought, and it stuck in my head. And in that moment, that one random thought came screaming back to life. I also know something about my wife. One of her love languages, she loves movies. I mean, absolutely loves to go watch movies. She's just that person, right? If I would say to her, honey, I got a romantic gondola ride through Venice or a movie, you know what she'd pick? Okay, bad illustration, probably even. Right? But she would party, pick, move. She just loves that. So I know that also. So in that moment, I said to myself when the voice said to me, buy this, that uh, this could be a real cool gift. I bought the gift, I got it into my car, and driving home, all of a sudden I realized okay, she might not get how special this gift is. She might think I bought the gift for me. (laughs) Subtext, maybe it was a little bit of truth in that thought. So in all of my extreme intelligence, I got home and I said to myself, Self, you got to do something to the box so she knows I really bought the gift for her, not for me. Because that'd be bad if she opened up a gift for her that was really for me, but I try to say that it was for her. That's bad. So I I sat down on my computer and I printed off this eight and a half by 11 little sheet of paper that clearly described what the gift was and the gift was for her because she said at one point somewhere along the way that she really wanted one of these. This is what I bought her. (laughs) I got my wife a Blu-ray player that might have also been a PlayStation 3. But it's definitely a Blu-ray player. You can tell, right? It says Blu-ray player. And the moment in Best Buy was when I realized she had said she wanted a Blu-ray player. She said that uh, she, how much she loves movies. And I said to myself, I can got, buy her a Blu-ray player and get me a PlayStation 3 all in one trip. Sold, right? And I did research on it. It was actually one of the best Blu-ray players on the market at the time. So it was quality. I asked her uh, last night if I could show that photo on the screen. And um, she said no. <laughs> but I'm persistent. I said, honey, everyone will know that it's Christmas morning and you didn't have your hair done and makeup on. And that those pajama bottoms, which were really like, they, would, they will all understand so she finally, I, I beat her down. So she said, okay. No, she was fine with me showing it kind of a little bit. <laughs> what was the worst gift you were ever given? I mean, for me, I, I, I would have to say that that was one of the, the, the most ingenious gifts I've ever given my wife. I don't think she put it on the top 10 list of the best gifts I've ever given her. But what was a, maybe the worst gift you've ever been given? I did some research this week, and uh, you got to love Google because I typed in worst Christmas present ever, and uh, ever is the key word. And uh, after laughing for way too long, I I narrowed my list to these three gifts that people wrote about. Jeannie wrote this, my boyfriend's mother, which we should just stop there. You know, know it's bad. (laughs) My boyfriend's mother gave me a pound of ground beef right from her freezer. She stuck a big red bow on it and made such a big deal over it. I don't think she liked me very much. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) If you get a pound of ground beef right from the freezer. (laughs) Sharon wrote, wrote this. She received a Harris Casino coffee mug full of quarters given to me by my grandparents. The mug read, life begins at 21. I was nine. But isn't that grandparents? Every, every year my wife gets uh, from her grandma, and her grandma a lovely, lovely lady, but every year my wife gets a $5 gift card to either Walgreens or CVS. One year I go, honey, this is kind of, why, why does she always give, give you these? Is there some story? She goes, no, she just gets them free because she gets her prescriptions filled so many times that she, can... so it's technically a free $5 gift card from Walgreens, and then Peggy wrote this, and I think it's hilarious, but it's it's kind of sad. But we'll laugh. She wrote it. She said, "I should have known my marriage was over when I got ice cube trays for my husband for Christmas." Fellas, never buy ice cube trays for your wife for Christmas. That should just never, ever, ever, ever enter your mind. I'm not sure it should. Anyone? Anyway. I, she said, I survived the coffee pot when I didn't drink coffee year and the year of three boxes of clothes all in the wrong size. But ice cube trays, the message was clear. <laughs> Isn't gift giving in this season one of the most complex parts of it? I know we would all say Christmas is a season of giving, not g- Getting, right? We we all like to say that, but in all reality, how much of our time right now is consumed about what you're gonna get and what you're gonna give and what you're gonna buy and what you're not gonna buy, and how much are you gonna spend on that person, how much are they gonna spend on you? And when you actually give them the gift, are they really gonna like the gift or are they secretly hoping that the gift receipt is in the box? Right? Like it's one of the most complex parts of the season. And then you get to Christmas morning, and uh, if you have kids, had kids, right? You have that frenzy where wrapping paper goes everywhere. And then one of your kids will say this, is that all? Yeah. Right? And at that moment, if you're like me, you want to take every gift, shove it in a trash bag, and say, I'm taking it all back, right? Of course, you don't. Hopefully, you don't say that. Right? It's, it's such an intense part of this season. Today, we're going to take a look at a story. It's a story you've probably heard many times. It's about the wise men, the magi. And what's amazing about it is not only what they gave, but how they gave it. Today, there's going to be moments. I'm just, this is kind of the the warning, um, kind of flashing warning sign right now. There's going to be moments for all of you that you're going to feel this tension well up inside of you. I talk about this kind of often because sometimes people leave church with this tension and uh, they want to deflect it on everyone else, <laughs> maybe me. <laughs> this is my challenge. Don't just dismiss it and say, I don't agree, I don't agree, I don't like, I don't like. I, that guy on stage, he does, he's not in this world of reality My challenge for you is pay attention to that tension inside of you because that's the Holy Spirit working in you, speaking to you, trying to get your attention on a subject matter that you need to start paying attention to. You could shoot me an email all day long and tell me you disagree with anything I say. I'll simply reply, it's in the Bible. Deal with God on it. Pay attention to it today. I'm, just, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a nerve hit. And instead of trying to deflect it on me and everyone else, maybe simply say, wow, there must be something inside of me that God's trying to get my attention on. And I need to do some business with God on it. There's going to be three areas where the Magi worshipped God three areas, and there's going to be a challenge attached to each one of those three areas. And like I said, one might be a bigger issue for you, a bigger tension area. Maybe you discover pieces in all three areas. Just pay attention to it. The story starts out like this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, we got to know a little bit about King Herod because it kind of sets the stage for what's going on in that era, era. If you, if you don't know much about King Herod, he was one of the most complicated guys ever to live. On one side, he was a genius as an architect and an engineer. His discoveries in the area of engineering and architecture still remains today. He developed this city harbor area called Caesarea Maritima. It was, it was one of the largest man-made harbors ever to be built. Historians say that it rivaled the harbor uh, of Alexandria, e- Egypt. And not only was the, the, the building of it, uh, the marvel, the, the discoveries of how to do it, they developed a cement that could hard, harden to set underneath water. He rebuilt the, uh, the palace in Jerusalem, the largest temple ever to be constructed, he built. The palace fortress in Masada, still an architectural wonder as he uh, transitions this entire fort kind of structure into this amazing palace. Amazing things he did. On the flip side, it's kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality. He was this maniacal, narcissistic, paranoid personality. So much so, he killed his wife, two of his sons, and countless other people. He would just kill people. People living in and around that era, kind of what they would say about him was, he stole the throne like a fox, ruled like a tiger, and died like a dog. That was Herod. The story goes on and says, And about that time some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and they asked this question, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? So now we enter these these wise men, these magi. Now the video we played was hilarious, but there's a couple things maybe not historically true about the video we played. Uh, One is uh, the the, the magi weren't Jewish. Uh, They're from Persia which is okay. And I I think one of the Magi in the video kind of had a British accent. Um, It's okay. Um, We took some creative liberties with that. Um, And there weren't necessarily three Magi, right? There were three gifts, which guess what? Now kind of tradition rolls in, and we think there's three Magi. There's there's multiple Magi. We don't know how many there were. What we know is probably it was a large caravan coming into the city, they traveled for a far distance, and so that we knew there was probably many of them, and plus they had their servants and all this other thing. The Magi, as much as we know about them, there's that, that amount of mystery surrounding them. Like I said, they're from kind of Persia. We know that they were astrologists or magicians, philosophers, fortune tellers, sorcerers, dream tellers, and they were experts in the ancient texts, not just you know, the Torah, the, the, the first five books of the, the Old Testament, but all ancient texts. And they not necessarily believed in the one true God. They believed in gods everywhere. They were pagan, pagan worshipers. But they would have had the ancient text attached to the Jewish faith about the one true God. And so these magi, these astrologists, would have known that in numbers chapter twenty four there is a prophecy that stated, "A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel, and so when they saw this star, they realized this was something big. something they said when they came into the city, which I think again, it sets kind of this this pathway for what I think God is really going to challenge all of us today. He said, where is a newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to what? Worship him. There's three main ways that they worship Jesus. And so many times we, we hear the word worship, and we automatically go to singing. And singing is a, a major, major part of word worship. It really is. The, the, the angels are said to be surrounding God. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Singing is a major part of worship, but it's not the entire picture. In Romans chapter 12, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. See, worship is about your entire self, who God has created you to be, all your gifts and passions and talents, all of who you are that you lay at his feet in worship. And the Magi had come to worship this newborn king. Well, the first way, they worshipped. Jesus was with their time. It said that they traveled. And what we know is they traveled somewhere around 800 or so miles, give or take a few, few miles. Who knows? But they came a far distance. And If we use this kind of 800-mile number, what we quickly can find out, if they traveled about 20 miles a day, that, that's about a 40-day journey by foot, by camel. And that's like, that's like if nothing went wrong, like if a camel didn't break down. I don't know if camels do that, but I'm sure at one point a camel said, I don't want to walk today. And I'm not a camel expert, but I don't think you're going to change a camel's mind. Um, I think that camel will just lay down if it doesn't want to go. But think about how much preparation that you put into just a quick two-day trip or three-day trip, just yourself, But then when you start going like, oh, I got my family and my kids and suitcases and did we get everything right? There's planning that goes involved. And we just have to jump in the car and drive to Newark if we actually can make our way into the airport, which is confusing. It's like this trap. It sucks you in. You can't get out. Um, Right? Like I just go in circles. I don't know. Get me out of here. And GPS doesn't work at Newark. Have you guys realized that? I got to store it in it anyway. Moving on. Like, how much planning? These, these men, these magi, were going on a 40-day, at least, journey. And they had support animals, vehicles, carrying their supplies. They had treasure. They had gifts. They brought everything with them. It was a big deal. And they gave up their time to go worship this newborn king. Here's the challenge. Your first five. I I understand that uh, we're all busy. Last week, Incron challenged us with say no, go slow, and shh. And it created some tension in people. But here's what I believe. You and I, we don't have a time issue. We have a priority issue. See, when you worship God with your time, you're saying to God, I put you in my top slot. Number one, you go first. And realize this, anything that goes above God becomes your idol. So the challenge for you is simple. First five minutes of your day, you put God number one. Don't don't allow another idol to go in there. Whatever that is for you, put him number one. You might be saying, Well, Chris, you don't understand. I get up at, at this time and I have all this. My day. Okay, five, five minutes earlier. You all take a shower, right? Don't, you don't have to say out loud. Yeah, uh. right? That's some great time to spend with God. But you intentionally go into your shower saying, This time is about you, God. And you start talking to Him. You might be saying, Well, Chris, I don't know what to say. Well, maybe you don't need to say anything. Maybe you just need to listen. Maybe you go to the gym. The treadmill is a great time to pray. And guess what? You, you don't have to close your eyes to pray. I would suggest, if you're on the treadmill, don't close your eyes. I, you could try it. But have you ever been on the treadmill and your foot slipped off to the side and it hits a side rail and throws you off? That happened to me yesterday. Okay. But your first five minutes of the day... And for some of you, you're like, five minutes, that's all, Chris? Okay, you don't have an issue with this. Some of you are going, five minutes. This is what will happen. You give God your first five. You put God in the number one slot of your day. It's going to quickly increase to six minutes, then seven minutes, then eight minutes, then nine minutes. I promise you. And then one point you're going to have to say, wow, I'm giving God some of my time. And there's going to be something right underneath it. Vine for that number one slot, and you're going to have another decision to make. How are you going to worship God with your time? Give them your first five minutes. The story goes on. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he, when he heard this, as everyone in Jerusalem. What's amazing in this story is, Jerusalem at this point is around forty to 50,000 people. It's not some small little shepherd village with like 20 people, right? So you have this massive caravan of people from Persia come into a a village of 20 people. That would get people's attention, right? You'd be like, oh, we're dead, right? They came into this large commercial city. And guess what? They still got everyone's attention, including Herod's. Why? Because they were saying, where is he? the king of the Jews, he's been born. So much so that Herod called a group of people together, his experts, and he said, whoa, 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 where, where's, this, where, where's this Jesus guy? Where was he supposed to be born? And they responded, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. This bothered Herod so much that he called a private meeting with a Magi. How much influence do you think you have to have to get a private meeting with a king? You see... They leveraged their influence to turn the spotlight on the birth of the king. The challenge for you is this intensify your influence. Oh, every one of you have it. Every day, you are influencing people. The question is how? And is it to turn the spotlight on Jesus? Now, I'm not saying be one of those cheesy Christian people. You know what I'm talking about? Like the bumper sticker Christian person, right? I'm sorry. If you have one of those cheesy bumper stickers, just take it off. Like, seriously. Like, I walked in the store one time. And there's this Christian store in Vegas, which I never went, by. I walked in. I'm standing at the register because I needed something. And out on the counter was this, like, can of mints. And on the outside of the can, it said, testaments. I'm like, no. Like, no. I think God is up in heaven saying, no, right? I'm not saying being that person. Be you. Just be you. Like, so many times when you talk about, you know, let, let, let uh, Jesus reflect out of you, people, like, turn into some weird cheesy person be you but reflect him there's a reason why we're always challenging you to invite someone here god wants to use you to influence this world for him and you might be sitting here today saying well well chris i don't even know if i believe in jesus i don't even know if i believe that he's god's son guess what I don't think the Magi did. But they were on a journey. God got their attention. And guess what they did? They said, I'm going to go figure this out. We have Christmas concerts coming up. And honestly, it's not because we like Christmas music. We do like Christmas music. I think Kim and I have been listening to Christmas music like since before Thanksgiving. It's not about that. It's not about the band being bored so they want to play more. It's an opportunity for you to intensify your influence, to invite someone that possibly they would walk up the stairs, right? Because everyone has these really whacked out uh, misconceptions about church. (laughs) Maybe they're not misconceptions. Maybe they're real. But we all know Renaissance is different, right? I've interacted with countless people here. They're like, man, Renaissance is just a different place. I'm like, yes, it should be. Friday evening, uh, maybe it was Thursday evening, my wife grabbed a bottle of wine and walked over to her neighbors. The same neighbors that from the day we moved in, we've been intentionally building a relationship with. It. She handed them a bottle of wine and said, we'd like to invite you to be guests with us to our Christmas concerts. Um, Here are the days, here's the times. um, But we'd be honored for you to come with us. Uh, Would you be open to this, to that? And guess what they said? Yes. It's amazing. How simple that is. Worshiping God with your time and worshiping God with your influence. Okay, what if they would have said No. we would ask again. We might have to buy a lot of wine. (laughs) Right? And we have Christmas Eve services. People are, are open spiritually right now. No matter what they believe, what they don't believe, how confused they are about... They're open spiritually. And the Magi were open to follow a star... And they worshipped at the feet of the newborn king. Story goes on. They leave this private meeting with Herod. He says, and the star they had, had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Could you imagine that moment? I mean, this epic journey. And they pause that moment right outside of this little house. And they realize that he's inside. And could you imagine the joy that erupted within them as they were going to go worship? They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. There is something about humbling yourself and lowering your head and bowing. Yes, they worship Christ with their time and they worship Christ with their talents bringing this influence of, onto Jesus but you know what at the end of the day it was about worship and the first thing they did when they entered this house was humbled themselves and worshiped him and then after they worshiped him it says they opened their treasures chests and gave him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh three gifts I mean, we all get gold, right? They gave him gold. Frankincense was this uh, incense, literally to harvest frankincense, that you go to the several specific trees, and you would cut into the bark. And this gum substance would kind of ooze through those those cuts in the bark, and they would harvest frankincense and burn it as an incense. It's the only incense allowed on the altar in, in Exodus chapter 30. And then myrrh, myrrh was this perf- perfume used in um, embalming bodies. The Egyptians used it all the time. Three gifts for a king. Gold representing kingship, or Jesus as king. Frankincense represented godhood, Jesus is fully God. And myrrh represented mortality, Jesus is fully man. So here's a challenge. Give generously. Here's what I know right now. For some of you, not all of you, for some of you, you're going to start feeling this tension again because the church is going to talk about your treasure. I get it. But what you have to understand, is not about me talking about your treasure has nothing to do with me the question is are you worshipping christ with with what he has given you In matthew 6 it says for where your treasure is there your heart is also Jesus called the church his bride. It's a really cool analogy. That the church is the bride of Christ. And that we should worship him with laying our treasures at his feet. People say, Well, Chris, what, why give to the church? I give to all these other nonprofits. I say, oh, I, I do too. I have a former student in South Africa that we're helping to support. We have a, a child that we adopted through Compassion International. She lives in Ecuador. We support. And a host of other things. But my, my first gift goes to the church. I lay it at Jesus' feet in an act Of worship. Because the church is the hope of the world. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not conquer it. And you see, when we talk about money in the church, Guys, it's not about renaissance. I would say to you this right now. If you don't want to give in an act of worship to this church, go find another church. I'm fine with that. And go lay your, your treasure at the feet of the, of the Christ in an act of worship. But you need to Worship. With your treasure. So the challenge is to give generously. You might be wondering, you know, how, how do I give to Renaissance? Two simple, simple ways. We have an offering box in the in the back hallway. And you can just, as you walk by, drop in. The other way is online. The first thing my wife and I did And I'm not saying this to beat my chest. I'm just telling you that I'm not asking you to do something that uh, I haven't done myself. Because I take worshiping God with my time and my talents and my treasure extremely seriously. First thing we did was set up online. So you can go to renaissance.org and you can set up online. First thing we did, first paycheck. We set it up online. Why? Because we we take seriously to do everything we can to keep God number one in our lives and not, not allow anything else to come up above him because once we have something else come above him, guess what happens? That becomes our idol, what we worship. First five. Tomorrow morning, wake up, your first five minutes. Give to God. Tomorrow morning, when you're giving him your first five, put this as part of your time. God, help me to intensify my influence today. And then worship him by giving him your treasure. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time we had together. Lord, I know today that... um, I know there's moments that created these moments of tension and tension is good. I just pray that every one of these people will leave here today and not just deflect it and push it away, but yet they will say, okay, God, what do I do with this? Lord, I just pray that everyone here today will just understand it's a worship issue that we're called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. It's our spiritual act of worship. And that we lay down at your feet in a form of humility to worship you. You pray. Amen.